Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along Thursday's edition of uh, Cork Today with our John Paul uh, standing by taking your calls um, already. Calls are coming in 1850 You can text as well 086 or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And here we are on the eve of a week since we went to the polling stations and we still don't have a full result from Ireland South. So back to Nemo Rangers is where we're going to be going in a couple of minutes to our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran and there was high drama last night. If you are a follower of election counts, the tension was unreal. And then, of course, as the night was going on, there was rumblings and rumours of recounts and rechecks. And everything. there was moans of people saying, oh, no, what's going to happen? And, it, and as was predicted, a full recount and a recheck is going to get underway. And we'll get Fiona Corkin to explain everything that's going to happen. And uh, the full recount and recheck is at the request of Sinn Féin candidate uh, Leah Neoriada uh, because she was about to lose her seat uh, by a mere 327 votes. We're up to, by the way, at this stage, we're up to the 18th count. And to when, you, uh, when there's 750,000 votes cast... 327 votes is equivalent to what happened in Bantry when Holly McKeever Carnes looked for a recount because of losing a seat by one vote. We're on that same kind of uh, scale. So as far as I know, nine o'clock this morning, the recount, the recheck got underway and we'll find out exactly what is uh, going on there. But Billy Kelleher yesterday and the Fianna Fáil party certainly uh, happy because he took the second seat. It's looking uh, like McWallace will take the third. Deirdre Clune, he's like Lazarus rising from the dead. Uh, she is now in the fourth place. But somebody, Anne, is making an interesting point and says... If and when Leonie Riada is uh, eliminated, her vote surely will be distributed. A lot of her votes will transfer to Grace O'Sullivan. Isn't there then a chance that Grace O'Sullivan could overtake Deirdre Clune for the fourth seat? The logic being that I can't see Deirdre Clune getting many transfers from Leonie Riada, Sinn Féin, Fine Gael. Not exactly bedfellows when it would come to the transfer of uh, votes. Yeah, it's one way of uh, looking at it and. I know it happened in the other constituency where there's this other holding seat and the very same thing happened. You know, normally when you would get to the five, they're deemed elected without reaching the quota. But because this last seat is MEP in waiting, well, if you're a candidate, you'll take the seat, but you would prefer to have the seat whereby you're getting on the plane and going straight to Brussels. It's the kind of seat you don't really want. So, yes, I'm assuming that the last candidate whoever it is, Leonie Rea, the Argrace or Sullivan, if they're within 
shouting distance and at the moment it looks like they are will say no whoever is the last candidate eliminated distribute the votes and see where we go from there Uh, Phil says a mother thank you for that by the way and um, it's a good reading of it mother of God how long more is this counting going to go on for I heard somewhere now last night there was loads of rumours going around Twitter was was a wash with rumour and speculation. Somebody said it could be a month. <laughs> I don't know where they came up with that. A, a full recount, I think, I'm open to correction, but I think could take between three and four days. That would be. So this time next week we'll be sitting here. I'll be doing a similar little speech to you about, and here we are nearly two weeks since we cast our votes and we still don't have everybody elected in Ireland South. I have huge sympathy for the candidates but I also have huge sympathy for the people that are stuck in that count centre doing the counting and the media people who are there trying to keep an eye on proceedings and keeping the rest of us informed on what's going on. It is really, really time consuming. And again, you could see people talk about electronic voting and if we had electronic voting at the push of a button all this would have been sorted would have been done and dusted within an hour we wouldn't be in this uh, situation and there's people again starting to talk some would say the dirty word of electronic voting because we know how much it cost this country to dip our toe in with electronic voting and then decide that we didn't uh, want it and just staying on the whole theme of elections. A Bantry listener says, Patricia, listened to uh, your tribute, your glowing tribute yesterday to Finbar Harrington who failed to get a seat in the Bantry. It was Finbar and Holly McKeever Kearns that went to the recheck on the one vote. Um, this Bantry listener says, I-, I listened to your tribute to him yesterday and of course it was hard luck but spare a thought for all those down through the years that are brave enough to raise issues, put their names on the ballot paper but were never elected. Had it not been for those people, politicians could sit back and do nothing. Sadly, some of these brave people bowed out because elections are costly. A warm tribute to all those says a Bantry uh, listener. And if you've listened to me regularly, particularly when I do reports from any of the election centres, the account centres, I have utmost sympathy for people who lose seats, both people who were sitting and then lose are people who've never got a seat, be it at local elections, doll elections or an MEP, but who are brave enough to put their name on the ballot uh, paper. I have absolutely huge respect for those people. I mean, I do a job where I have to listen to a lot of people give out about politicians, but it is one job I would not consider because I have so much respect for the work that politicians do and the patience that they must have that I just know I wouldn't be cut out for it. I just know I wouldn't be cut out cut out for it. So thank you for that. And, and I 100% agree with you. They are very, very brave people, must be congratulated and must be recognised. And long may there continue to be people who are brave enough to put their names onto the ballot paper. So it gives all of us choice. And I know people have been giving out with this European election the fact that there was 23 names on the list. But isn't that democracy? And isn't it great that those people felt strong enough about their area and about particular issues and felt that they could make a change, that they put their name forward. And it is, it doesn't come cheap. It financially doesn't come uh, cheap. And I also think emotionally and psychologically and physically some of these campaigns can be really, really draining. And even just what's been going on at the Count Centre, I saw Grace O'Sullivan say, say when she arrived down to 
Nemo Rangers for the count on Sunday. She bought three dresses with her, thinking, well, I'll have one for Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. Sure, I'll be well home. And here we were on a Thursday and being a good Green Party member, she's recycling her clothes at, at this stage. 1850 We will go back to Neptune and get the very latest on the programme today. Also doing some other... Um, catch-ups and funny updates. We're going to speak with uh, John McDonough. John McDonough we spoke with last week. He is the... John along with his wife and his four children they are the family that are living in a mobile home at the picnic site on the Cork Road in Formoy. They've been there for the last two years. They're on the council housing list for seven years. They desperately want to be rehomed. They have nowhere to go. The council via the Gardaí arrived to the mobile home last week and said you've got seven days to vacate the picnic area. John spoke very honestly and very open with us last week and said I have nowhere to go. I literally have nowhere to go. Uh, So we uh, put a call through to John yesterday to see would he join us today just to let us know a week on uh, what is uh, happening. We're also a week on from what was the resounding yes vote in the referendum showing what a tolerant society we have become. We are going to speak with the Humanist Association of uh, Ireland. Humanist weddings have become extremely popular in the last number of years. Now I don't have the exact figures on how much they've increased since divorce but I'm assuming it is one of the reasons that more people are going for humanist weddings because if you were married in a Catholic church and then for whatever reason your marriage broke down and you're now in a second relationship and you want to remarry you know if you've had a a divorce and not an annulment then you can't go back to the Catholic Church so for many divorcees a humanist wedding is a way to go I mean you can go you can have your of course have your civil wedding but a lot of people like the personal touch of a humanist wedding and it isn't just for divorcees there are more young people who are not practising Catholics or practising any religion who like the idea of having a humanist uh, wedding and the humanist uh, Association of Ireland they don't just do weddings they also do funerals and they also do naming uh, ceremonies so kind of everything that a church would do and it's specifically for people who are not practising whatever religion and don't have a religion but yet want to have some kind of a service for a wedding for a funeral or for the naming of a child instead of having a christening. So they kind of cover all of the things that are covered by the church but for people who don't go to church which I think is is is, is a nice idea and it certainly is becoming more popular and I know back in April of this year the stats from the Central Statistics uh, Central Statistics Office came out showing the weddings for last year and there was a huge drop in the over say 20 years ago on the number of people who opt for a church wedding over a civil ceremony or over something like having a humanist wedding. I think church weddings were down to something about 52%. I mean, there was a time in this country they would have been up at the close on the 98, 99% of weddings would have been done inside in a church, but not anymore. So we're going to speak with the Humanist Association of Ireland. I don't know if you've ever been to a humanist wedding or a humanist funeral. If so, how did you find it? Did you find it very personal? Did you enjoy it? Did you feel it was as good as a church wedding? Were you or did you or the opposite? Did you not enjoy it? Do you still think the best way to get married and the only way to do it in your eyes is to do it in in a church in front of a priest? Your thoughts welcomed on uh, that. We will have a member from Gadishia Corner join us for this week's uh, crime file and uh, Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Practice 
Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket will answer all of your pet questions after half past 12 today. Now nearly a week on from when we went to the polling stations to cast our votes in the European and local elections we still don't have a full result from uh, Ireland South. I'm once again joined by our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran who's become such a regular uh, feature on this programme but we love having her on. Good morning to you Fiona. Good morning. Uh, uh, I was just thinking last night I mean 750,000 people can Cast their vote in Ireland South on 23 candidates in this massively long uh, ballot paper. Uh, is that what is that part of the reason why this count is taking so long? Yeah, um, you know, 755,000 plus papers is a lot of papers to get through, obviously. Um, and it's a, you know, a slow and painstaking process as it is. But we got to 18 counts last night and um then, um, and two people have been elected. We have, uh, Sean Kelly was elected um, the other day, whatever day it was, I can't even remember now anymore, Patricia. And Billy Kelleher then was elected last night. So then um, his surplus votes were transferred. And after that, it completely changed the state of play. And now Sinn Féin has called for a recheck and um, a recount. Um, so this long process that we've been here for since um, Sunday... Uh, could go on for 28 days. Uh, now, now, where is the 28 days coming from? Okay, so they have to do the recheck now and there's 197,000 votes that they have to recheck. They're just Leonie Reid and Grace O'Sullivan and they're rechecking all of those and they expect that to come in to, to be finished by lunchtime today, so maybe around one o'clock. Um, and after that then, it's up to the candidates whether or not they want to press ahead with this full recount and if that does happen um, they're going to adjourn the process until Tuesday and come back on Tuesday because obviously we are going into a bank holiday weekend so we can't come back on Monday um, and um, because the like we started out here with 200 counters 200 count staff it's gone down now to about 80 because the count staff here, like as somebody was saying to me, nobody is a full-time counter. So they all have other jobs that they have to go to. They've got families. They've got various different events that they have. I was talking to somebody there who said one of the count staff is actually getting married. Um, you know, so people have things that they have to do. So the amount of staff here has um, is diminishing day by day, I suppose. People are getting tired. They can't expect them to work from like 9 o'clock in the morning until 2 o'clock the following morning, seven days a week. So they may have to try and come up with some situation like a 9 to 5 Monday to Friday. Um, all of that will have to be considered. And there's 755,000 votes that they have to go through again if there's a recount. So that's why it's going to take so long. Because a full recount... Like, okay, today is just a recheck of Mm. both Leah's papers and Grace's papers. A full recount, you're back to first preferences of every single ballot paper. Yep, that's it, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so um, we're hoping that that doesn't happen, obviously. But look, there's a lot to play for here. Um, You know, Leah Nerida, it's not like she's just coming into this race for the first time and she could say, all right, well, I I wasn't successful this time. I can always come again in five years. She's actually going to lose her seat if she's eliminated. Um, So there's an awful lot to play for there. So you can... And there's only... 327 votes between her and Grace O'Sullivan and all through the race Nirida has been in contention to get a seat like at one stage she was polling third Mm. and yesterday I was speaking to Sinn Féin TD Jonathan O'Brien and that was 
um, yesterday afternoon at about two or three o'clock and they were still very hopeful that she would get a seat and it just kind of um, turned around at the very last minute. So you can understand why she would look for a recount, why her people would look for a recount. Um, but um, it's It was really the, after the transfer of Andrew Doyle and Sheila Noonan's votes. Yeah. That really so threw the cat amongst the pigeons. Yeah, because after their um, transfer, Deirdre Clune gained over 20,000 votes. Which, yeah. And, and she shot up then, like she was kind of way down the race. We were nearly writing her off yesterday and then she got 20,000. So it brought her back into contention, into serious contention. Um, and we, Leonie Rita only got, in comparison, 4,500 of his votes. So that kind of um, changed that positioning a little bit. And then after their transfer, uh, Malcolm Byrne of Fianna Fáil was uh, eliminated. And then his votes were transferred. And obviously then um, his party colleague, Billy Kelleher, got a massive <clears throat> number of his transfers. He got over 38,000. So that brought him over the quota and he was the second person then to be elected. Um, and um, Deirdre Clune also picked up quite a few transfers there. She got over 8,000 um, and again, Leah, Leah got 3,000 and Grace O'Sullivan got 2,000 thereabouts plus. But um, so, you know, it, it, I suppose it just goes to show, Patricia, as well, the importance of these transfers. Um, you know, at the start of this race, it, you know, it was always going to be a fight between Leah, Deirdre and Grace for those final two seats. But the positioning of that was always kind of a question mark over it. And it just goes to show then the transfers really do matter and they really do change the state of play in an election. Um, And we just have to wait and see now what um, decision is made this afternoon. And um, I suppose uh, we have to kind of say as well that if the Sinn Féin party decide that, um, you know, that a recount is not really going to make any difference and Leonie Rida accepts that she's out of the race, they then have to eliminate her and uh, redistribute her votes, which are 98,379. And that will happen today, and that could run into the early hours of of tomorrow morning. Um, And the reason why they do that, because even though there will be five people elected then at that stage, we have this Brexit seat, which will be the fifth seat. So... um, you know, the, and it would be between Grace O'Sullivan and um, Deirdre, Clune. Deirdre Clune. So, you know, they obviously want to have that fourth seat because that guarantees them the place in Europe. And, um, you know, the fifth seat, even though it is a seat, they won't actually be going over to Europe until after Brexit, until November. And it all depends on what happens with Brexit. So it's a kind of a, it's a holding seat where they're, they're really in limbo. And, you know, obviously they're going to want to prefer to be in and get that number four seat. So um, that's why they have to do this this process of redistributing that person who's eliminated because I suppose if it was five guaranteed seats, they would just eliminate Lee and Reed and that would be the end of it. But they can't do that now um, because of this fifth holding seat. So that's why um, it could go on again now until late today, even into tomorrow. Yeah, but as you say, we'll know by lunchtime-ish today whether yes. Sinn Féin are going to push for for a recount or not. Yeah, and, and when the dirty... I was talking to here says that they probably will, but yeah. we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, because when the dirty word of recount was mentioned yesterday, was there like a <laughs> sigh around the count centre with everybody going... Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we've been here, everybody has been... Um, here since Saturday, um, you know, we had the local elections, we had the European elections, we had the plebiscite, um, 
And for a lot of the uh, European candidates, um, as I mentioned, I think maybe yesterday, the day before, a lot of them are not from here. And I was talking to Grace O'Sullivan yesterday, and she has travelled over from Waterford. So she had come over on um, Sunday for the start of the count and was planning on staying here for a few days. And she only brought three dresses with her. <laughs> so now she's recycling those dresses. Um, because it's not easy for them to just they poems, you know, and uh, likewise, Mick Wallace is from Wexford, um, you know, so, um, and their families, um, all the fans travel over here, campaign teams, so it is a very, um, you know, it's a long few days for people. Taking, a, taking a lot, tired. taking a lot, a lot out of their lives. Talking to Mick Wallace, was his votes one of the big talking points of this count? Yeah, it was interesting to watch his um, figures because um, he was, like, as the you know, the, a lot of the candidates who were eliminated at the starts were either independents or they were kind of more left parties. And uh, he was picking up massive transfers along the way. But that kind of has... Um, Slowed down. Has eased off a little bit. Yeah, now he's still in... Like, he will be the next person to get a seat. He's on 112,441 and the quota is 119,866. So he will be... Um, well... I, I, nothing is for definite in this race but like he looks like he would take the third seat um, but yeah he's not um, like he picked up um, some of his transfers there were you know there was 3,000 and um, 5,000 there like 5,000 6,000 he's still doing well like he picked up 3,292 in the last time so he's still doing he's well. very he's transfer the, friendly yeah I was just going to say he's probably the one candidate in this whole um, Ireland South constituency who has been steady along the way on transfers you know like Deirdre Toon didn't do so well at the start and then she made this massive surge um, whereas Mick Wallace has been doing well on transfers the whole way through the race um, mm. and I suppose like a lot of people just uh, you know like him and, and like what he does and like what he like what he stands for he definitely stands out with his um, bright coloured t-shirts <laughs> but you know maybe that's what people like about him that he's not uh, that he's just a man of the people and very down to earth you know yeah, um, yeah. and for Deirdre Clune you must have been able to have seen the relief etched on her face yesterday yeah, yeah. now she was saying um, she was saying that she's been through is it two European elections numerous general elections yeah she's been there before elections. So she's been here before. So unlike some of them, um, you know, she's been through this weight and the, you know, the, the the anxiety that people would go through. So she's she's had kept a fairly cool head throughout mm. this. You mm. know, uh, well, I mean, I said it yesterday. Never rule out uh, dear de Clune. I mean, five I years know. ago, it was Simon Harris uh, was expected to get the seat, and suddenly on the last set of of um, votes that were transferred, dear de Clune leapfrogged yeah. over Simon Harris and. And we ended up going to Europe. So I mean, you can't. She was. She's like Lazarus. You can't rule her out. You really can't. <laughs> That's it. Like you know, and um, she's proved herself there now. You know, on, on, on the transfers. And I mean, yesterday when she got those twenty thousand, that completely changed yeah, the whole. Yeah. Um, okay, so so here, so are you, so another what could be another long day today, <laughs> or else if it goes to if Sinn Fein decide on the recount, they'll just wrap it up for today and say come back on Tuesday. Yeah. Instead. Um so I don't know, you know, what'll happen then. I mean, you know, it could be a very long process. Um, you know, we might 
just come back for the results or whatever because it's just I don't think anybody really has the appetite for a recount but look at it if that's what if it happens it happens want, okay and and very to. finally is the mention of electronic voting machines been mentioned at the count centre um yeah <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be in this position I, think, I know I actually feel sorry for the counters I really do because you know, you can just see that they're really getting tired. Yeah, um, yeah, bless their hearts. You know, they really are. Hearts. All right. Yeah. Okay, listen, you go away and uh, um, have a good weekend. You need a break as yeah. well from it all. And um, <laughs> thanks a million for joining us. We will, <laughs> we will, we will definitely talk again, uh, if not tomorrow, certainly next week. Okay, Fiona, yeah, thanks for thank that, you, and thanks for for joining us. That is our senior news reporter, Fiona Corcoran. Uh, some of your texts in. Why don't they hire the unemployed to do the the counting? Uh, why do they have to? rush back to their jobs there are people unemployed who would love that work and someone else says on Grace O'Sullivan only bringing three dresses did she never hear about wearing the same dress twice well she's had to do that and hi Patricia Munster should be just from Munster counties i.e. in Ireland South Leinster counties should be put with Dublin in the European elections and that's coming in from Anne 1850 333 connect with C103 on Twitter now search for our Twitter handle at C103 Cork last week I spoke with John McDonough who along with his wife Natasha and their four children are currently living in a mobile home at the picnic area on the Cork Road in Formoy. The family had been given one week to move and that week was up yesterday. Now we were hoping to have a chat with uh, John as to what has happened since but unfortunately we're having difficulties uh, getting through to him on the phone but local councillor Noel McCarthy has discussed this case with us before and uh, he joins me on the line. Good morning to you Noel. Good morning. Uh, and, now Noel as far as we know because we were speaking with uh, John yesterday he hasn't been, the family haven't been moved on. Is that your understanding no. as well? That's my understanding, Patricia. I, I tasked them, I think, the day before last, and I did see the caravan, the mobile home, in the picnic area still, so they were still there. I, I didn't check this morning because I'm away, but uh, 48 hours ago, they were still there. They were still there. And that's because the council are not moving in, because they've no, the council have nowhere to move them to. Is that the case? Exactly. You see, as I said, I've been consistent in saying this for the last year and a half now, Patricia, is that I'm, John is a nice fella, Natasha's a very nice person, and I understand their difficulty, but what they're doing, I've been saying, is going into it, the picnic area was not suitable, which was never meant for a caravan to be in there for such a length of time or any time, but they must work within the system. And the Cork County Council, I must support them in this, is that if they give a house in this situation, well, then they'll be leaving everyone else down as doing the right thing. And that's my stance, and this is my personal stance, Miss. And I've been saying it for a year and a half now. If John and Natasha, and I'll be the first to help them, I said this publicly again, if they come out of the uh, picnic area, try maybe, first of all, to work within the system with the executives of County Council, try private renting, get on, get on the right, do the right thing, and then their support there. But we're trying to hold out to get a house, social house in these circumstances is not right and not fair to the other people. Now, when the when we had spoken last to John back in March, when the unfortunate incident where the mobile home uh, went on fire and it was at, at the time a lot of work had to be done to it, he was offered emergency accommodation, but he claims the emergency accommodation was in Limerick and it was two separate hotels. So Natasha would have been in one hotel with two of the children and he would have to go to another hotel with another two. That doesn't seem very fair in a family. 
No, and I agree there. That's, I did hear that, and I, and I did speak to John personally since that, and he did say that's what he was offered. Obviously, the Cork County Council, I think in these circumstances, Patricia, the person themselves must try to do everything they can to get the emergency accommodation and then be supported by Cork County Council. But obviously, not everybody wants to, you know, is open to emergency accommodation or the hotels be booked out and so on. And it, emergency accommodation in Fomoy and surrounding areas, I know from experience, is very difficult to get. And John is telling the truth there. It is very difficult to get. And then he also said to us last week he's not looking for a mansion. He's looking for even a serviced site somewhere with some water, somewhere with some electricity. You don't have a halting site in the Fomoy area? None whatsoever. We have nothing. We have no halting site in the Fomoy electrical area. I think there's one in Mallow and one somewhere else, but nothing in Fomoy. And that's another problem we have. I suppose going forward with the new council, there are some things we need to look at. You know, John is not the only one in this situation, Patricia. And and, uh, again, I feel sorry for the children. And as I say, I I have to, my stance on it is that if John comes over there, I'll be the first person to do everything I can to work with the Executive County Council to get him on the housing ladder, but to work within the system. Because there there is money, isn't there, for local authorities that you can draw down for traveller accommodation, of which Cork County Council hasn't drawn it down? No, there is something there, but and there is funding there. But again, the executive, maybe there's difficulties in drawing down that. I don't know, Patricia, that part of it. That's an executive function and wouldn't be anything to do with let the, people like myself, let the representations, wouldn't be involved in that mm. process. All we can do is make representations and do the best we can for everyone on the housing. But I mentioned it last week, while everybody feels sorry uh, for this family, and as you say, any time we talk to John, he comes across as a really nice uh, guy, but nobody wants to live beside a halting site. Even if you, the council draw down the money and they have the money, as soon as they try to buy a piece of land, I guarantee you I will have residents from that area saying, we don't want a halting site in, in our area. You're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Exactly, and that's what we're getting. Even before we even suggest a location for a halting site, I have people come to me and say, oh no, we don't want that or don't even consider uh, anywhere near us. And uh, uh, like John, you said something there about John. John is a very nice person. And I've known John for a long time now. And John deserves to get a break and deserves to be looked after. But he mustn't do... But going into the picnic area, Patricia, in a location that was never meant... This isn't a means area, well-kept, and people are upset because of a mobile home going in there. But again, we as public representatives and with the new council now, we must look at all options. And I think we need to look at all options and how we can help people, John, like John, and other people like them. To achieve because homelessness is getting getting a big we'll get a problem and more of a problem. Now we're looking for my Patricia where we've a hundred houses under construction at the moment. That is definitely helping for my there's no doubt about that. But we need to do a lot more of that. Okay, we let's let, let's end uh, on the uh, the positive. Uh, last Saturday you were uh, I met you at the Mallow Count Centre. You topped the poll uh, over one thousand votes above the quota. Uh, that was an amazing result for you personally. Thanks, Patricia, and it was, and I was very proud, and I want to thank the people from my left for showing their faith in me and an endorsement they gave me. And all I promise people is to do my best and to work hard, and all I'm going forward is, that is my same, same promise to people is to work hard and do my best I can for everyone in the, for my electric area. And thank you, Kevin, to vote for me. Did you feel for uh, June Murphy who lost her seat? Well, I'm glad you said it. I did. I, I must pay a compliment to, uh, uh, to June because I worked with June for the last four years. She was a very good 
uh, colleague over the last five years, and she can be very proud of what she, she working together with the, the six of us in for my collectively. We did a hopefully people think we did a lot of good things, and June was part of that. But I've no I've no problem in saying that June will be back. Yeah, it's a tough business. You've got a lot of new faces as well. I think myself and John Paul counted up 21 or something, uh, new uh, councillors. It's always good to have fresh blood, isn't it? And, yeah. it, it is. It is very good to have fresh blood and, and new ideas and, and, and new ways of thinking because that's good for us all, that we all have to be, to be on our guard because these are the people that want to... We can see that we've worked it over the last years where you know, a lot of people colleagues of mine there longer than I am but have you know no ideas and we even get into the mile electric area with two new faces and I wholeheartedly congratulate them and I have no doubt they'll be good colleagues to work with as well and we're all working for the good of the people in the area for the communities that we that we, we live in and I think that's the most important thing that we could go forward we work collectively for the best what we can achieve for, for all of the um, electrical areas that we're elected to okay. have, have you all your posters down? I nearly have mauled up. I have one man going around today just to check, but I, I, I no doubt after this side, I'd have four calls saying there's a, there's a poster here and there, but I promise people I'll have them down by tomorrow. And the cable, cable so, task, because somebody, now this isn't, this isn't from uh, your area, I think this is from uh, West Cork. Somebody has sent me in a photograph of a, a wooden pole with the cable ties still around it. So a gentle reminder to people when you're taking down the election posters to take down the cable ties as well, Noel. Yeah. Yes, and I think that's very important. I, I've been doing my best, and the lads are always saying, look, cut the cable guys, put them into the car, and we can dump them when we okay. get them back. I ve- I think that's very very finally, but, there was a quick text in saying, could could the council not give that family one of the houses on the Pike Road? Are there houses on the Pike Road? There is, and they're, they're eight months, they're been under construction at the moment, but they're at least eight to ten, maybe twelve months away. Uh, but that's that's the good news of my that we have fifty houses in the Pike Road and we have fifty houses in Dunting and Relief Great. Road. So we have hundred ha- houses under construction. But how many people on the housing list? There again, we have at least three hundred. Yeah. at least three hundred. Yeah, yeah This will be a big hole, but this will be a big hole in it. And but we must continue that. And the government, in the higher level than we are, must roll out more housing and uh, acquisitions like this and, and construct more of them. That's what people want. Okay. And that's going to be done. Okay. We, we, we will discuss housing again. I guarantee you that, uh, Noel. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for taking our call. And thank uh, you very much, Patricia. Good, thank good, you. good morning to you. That is uh, Fina Gale, recently uh, re elected uh, Councillor Noel McCarthy. 1850 We take a break. In the next hour, we're going to be talking with the Humanist Association of um, Ireland and uh, also catching up with your calls and comments. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The 22nd Inna Shannon Steam and Vintage Rally. It always happens on the June Bank Holiday weekend. So it means it's happening this weekend, Sunday and Monday, 2nd and 3rd of June. Over a thousand exhibits are expected this year. There'll be huge tractors, there'll be unique cars, there'll be motorcycles and, of course, I think certainly for me, for the Steam and Vintage Rally has got to be the oil engines and the steam engines. And it is wonderful uh, to see uh, the display of the steam engines. They, they're, they're, inc- they're absolutely incredible particularly when you're up close to them. So you've got a chance by heading along to Inishan this Sunday or Monday and we're going to help you get there because we will be giving away later on in the programme a family pass that you can use on either of the days, whichever day suits you, either go along the Sunday or the Monday. So stay tuned for that. We'll give it away in the next hour. Your chance to win a family pass and you can check out all of the events 
at this year's Inner Shannon Steam Rally by going online to isvrally.com. Now, some of your thoughts coming into the programme this morning. Noreen was on to us about rented houses and she said where she lives, there are a number of houses that are rented out. But she feels the landlords need to step up to the mark a little bit. We're coming into summertime and she said some, no, not all, but some of these houses could do a little bit of freshening up from the outside point of view. They need to be painted. The chutes need to be uh, cleaned out. And Noreen makes the point that landlords are making money on the rent that they are receiving from these properties. Yet some are not reinvesting any of that money back into the properties and they're not being maintained. She said it's not up to the tenants. So she said just a gentle reminder please to landlords out there if you have a house you need to smarten it up a bit uh, especially for our towns and villages it'll make them look better particularly in the summer months. So get out and do a bit of maintenance please to the uh, landlords. And just staying on housing, seeing as we did touch on housing in the last hour when we spoke about, uh, about John McDonough's case, the family in Formoy living in the picnic area. Tom in Rathgormack says, I feel that that family are too choosy. They've been offered places. They are not taking them. I know people that want houses and can't get them. I don't know when you say they have been offered places. I mean, when John spoke to us last week, the only offer he told us about was when the mobile went on fire back in March and they were offered two separate B&B hotels, I'm assuming. But it was in Limerick. They live in Formoy. They would have to travel to Limerick. They have children going to school as well. And even Noel McCarthy, as the local councillor, said that that was too far away. But council have the problem that the emergency accommodation in the Formoy area is extremely thin on the ground. So I suppose when they were trying to offer emergency accommodation they looked around and the closest they could get to Formoy was Limerick but it certainly wasn't good enough for the McDonough family. I think how they got around that in the end until they did up the mobile home was they stayed I think with family for however many weeks it took to get the mobile home back up and running so they could move back in. And Denise is in for more and she says we need our picnic area back especially as we're heading into the summer months. It's unfair on locals. It's another amenity in the area which is gone from us. There's not a lot on offer at the moment in for more. And yet we've got something like our picnic area taken away from uh, us. Uh, and I know any other time that we've interviewed John McDonough we will get people saying, local people saying that they miss having the picnic area whereas John McDonough will say people want to come along and have their picnics they can do so, they don't put in or out with uh, people but others don't like the idea of going having uh, the, a picnic while there are a family living there in the mobile home. Some feel intimidated by it and I think others feel they're faced with the whole issue of homelessness and they just find it difficult to bring the family out and let's have a jolly nice picnic and all have a bit of fun while you're watching a family who are quite obviously struggling and who are desperate to get a roof over their head so I can understand it from that side as well. 1850 Back to the European elections. No update and no news by the way from Nemo Rangers. If anything breaks before we come off air at one o'clock we certainly will bring it to you but the rechecking is continu- continuing. Uh, I'd spoken earlier about the former Rose of Tralee, Maria Walsh who has was yesterday uh, elected as an MEP for the North West constituency and somebody was critical of the fact 
that Maria Walsh had taken a seat and was making the point that she doesn't have any qualifications, any political qualifications. And actually the listener went so far as to say that she feels that any person with no previous political experience shouldn't be running particularly for a job in Europe because it's such an important job. Well, and says Patricia, I think Maria Walsh is going to make a great MEP. She's very well educated and when she was Rose, Rose of Tralee some years ago, she was a great ambassador for gay people. She travelled the world and visited third world countries also, so she's well travelled as well, says Anne, but she's a well educated young woman. Give her a chance. She's going to do really well. We will watch her, I have to say, with uh, interest. Yesterday I spoke about Bally McQuirk Cross and the fact that the grass is very overgrown as you approach Bally McQuirk Cross. Bally McQuirk Cross is known as one of the most dangerous junctions, not just in County Cork, but I think in Ireland at one stage they were talking about it as one of the most dangerous uh, drunk junctions. And people are very nervous driving at that junction because cars are going by so quick and it's, you know, it's it's coming on to the main road from Kerry into Cork and it's just, you know, very, very busy road and we know that work's going to be done on it and eventually a roundabout is going to be put in but in the meantime, anything that can be done to make it as safe as possible, we're only too happy to highlight. So we had a number of listeners point out that the grass has grown up on the, the side so when cars are edging out, they literally have to edge out further in, over, in order to be able to see what is coming and that's just making it even more dangerous. So we got on to Councillor Bernard Moynihan who is an elected representative for that area. And indeed, we've spoken with Bernard before about Bally McCork uh, Cross on this programme. And he came on to us yesterday and said he was aware of it because obviously if we're getting calls, constituents are ringing him. He said he's making endless phone calls and representation to the council. But he said he would get back to us and he has got back to us uh, to say that the council have confirmed that the grass cutting will go ahead at Bally McCork Cross on this Saturday morning. And the reason that they're doing Saturday morning is is the quietest time for traffic. And Bernard says that the council told him that all of the roads around the cross that are overgrown grown will be dealt with on Monday next. But the main area that needs to be caught, it's going to be done at the quiet time on Saturday morning. So that will be, that will come as a little bit of good news for people certainly who are contacting us and who are just nervous of using that particular junction because of the way the grass has has overgrown. And thank you also by the way, yesterday in the last hour of the programme I had a call in from Cullum, a listener who was suffering really badly with sciatica and he said would you put it out there Patricia to see have other listeners, how have other listeners dealt with sciatica he was looking for a cure, I was saying anything even to relieve the symptoms because it's very very painful condition now a number of people were on saying exercise seem to be one of the ways which seems if you're in pain with sciatica in your back you kind of think exercise that'd be the last thing but yoga and pilates certainly we had the biggest volume of calls in from yoga about yoga and pilates and people had got had done really really well now you had to bear with it and it can take for some it might take you know a number of weeks before they'll feel the benefit but anyone who went down that route says it was very successful now we did have another call in and a text in from two people who say they used acupuncture and that acupuncture worked really well for sciatica if I want to pass that on to columns I'm glad to do that and then Sheila in Mill Street was on to say my husband has suffered from sciatica nerve he has been really bad with uh, it and actually ended up on morphine the pain was so bad he found finally ended up going to an osteopath 
and the osteopath sorted him out. He's actually now back driving trucks. Another route for Cullum to take. So thank you for that. Lots of people coming up, lots of different suggestions. So we will leave all of that information with Cullum. And if Cullum could let us know how you get on, I would be really, really interested. Now we're looking for some advice for other listeners. Sheila says, Patricia, is it my imagination or has the number of wild rabbits gone down? At this time of year, the sides of the roads are usually alive with baby rabbits. I've hardly seen any this year. Could you put it out on the radio, please, to see has anybody else noticed? So we're coming to the end of May, start of June is at the weekend. Normally at this time of the year, there should be a lot of baby rabbits. Anybody else noticed, like our Sheila has, that the number of wild rabbits are down? And I always worry when a particular species of wildlife is affected because it usually is a bad, bad sign. For, for the environment. So has anybody noticed wild rabbits? Is it just the area where Sheila is that there isn't, for some reason, the, the rabbits? Maybe they're there and they're just hiding. But she said normally you'll see them all over the side of the roads. And I'm just trying to think, when I've been out driving lately, have I seen any wild rabbits? And actually, I don't think I have. It hadn't struck me that normally around this time of year is this the season when we should be seeing the little baby rabbits out on the side of the road. And, you know, often when the baby rabbits are out you'll see dead rabbits still on the side of the road as well because they don't have the sense uh, when they're out when they're on the, the verge so if anybody has spotted either have has seen rabbits that they are there or are you with Sheila the other, there's something seems to be gone amiss this year with the rabbits can you let us know 1850 and then we're looking for advice on hens have we any hen expert listening to us uh, a whatsapper says I've three lovely hens I get three fresh eggs every day. But there's a bus coming, the bus. Just lately, when I crack open an egg, be it for baking or perhaps to make a bit of scrambled egg, there's a bit of blood in the yolk of the egg. Now, I obviously throw the egg away immediately, but now I'm starting to worry. When I boil one of these eggs, then you would notice the blood, I, I suppose. And I'm also wondering, is it still safe to use these eggs when there's a little bit of blood in the yolk of the egg. Could anybody else out there who has hens and has been using hens advise, please? Because obviously this is somebody who's new to the whole hen keeping, but getting on really well. And isn't it wonderful to be having three fresh eggs? I mean, you can't get fresher than those eggs. But if there's blood inside in the yolk of the egg, and I'm just thinking I've, over the years... Have I seen, of course I've seen blood in, in, in the yolk. Have I thrown, do I throw the egg out? I, I don't know. Can you just cook it up? I mean, I, I, once the egg is cooked, is it not okay to, anyway, this listener is throwing it out immediately when she sees egg in the middle of the yolk. But if anybody could advise, please do. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103. 103. The latest jobs on C103. Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon, Sunday, June 2nd. Get working now to run the full half or relay. More details at c103.ie. Full time bar staff is wanted for the Long Boat Bar that's in Durris. 
while plumbers are wanted for work in Cork City and County. A minimum of five years experience, please. You need to have your own tools and your own transport. General operative and an experienced sand blaster is required for a sand blasting company. And Carebright are recruit, recruiting for a senior staff nurse that's for their dementia care service uh, centre in uh, Brough. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Last weekend, the resounding result in the divorce referendum was described by the Culture Minister as a reflection of the deep well of kindness among the Irish public. The Humanist Association of Ireland also see the result as a positive signal of an increasingly tolerant and inclusive society. Nolene Hartigan is CEO of the Humanist Association of Ireland and uh, she joins me. Good morning to you, Nolene. Good morning, Patricia. And How are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome to the programme. Were you surprised at the scale of the result? 87% of people voting yes. I don't think, I think like most people, we were very pleasantly surprised, shall we say. Um, there wasn't a huge political campaign around the referendum and the Humanist Association of Ireland doesn't actually engage directly in political campaigns. That's one of the conditions of us being allowed to legally solemnise marriages. But what we are able to do is offer public opinion and try and engage the public in debates about a more progressive and inclusive society. So I think, like most people, we were pleasantly surprised. Mm. Um, But... Overall, Patricia, I think what it really shows is that inch by inch we are moving to a much more compassionate and tolerant place. We've seen that referendum after referendum for the last number of years. And Ireland is uniquely placed at the moment because global politics are so depressing. Um, The paucity of political leadership in Brexit, the shocking politics of North America at the moment at times, and here we are, this little island on the edge of Europe, that is saying no to racism, that's saying no to intolerance, that's saying no to the dominance of one faith in the political system. So it's a very interesting time for the country. I think we need to hold that space very gently and make sure that everyone is included and it's not an us or them. It's not suddenly a country without people of faith. But it is a country where religion doesn't and shouldn't influence the legislation. Now, since the introduction of divorce, Nolan, has there been an increase in the number of humanist weddings? Um, I don't think the two are correlated in that way, Patricia. So there's been a steady rise in humanist weddings over the last number of years. Um, and that mainly since 2012, when we were awarded the legal right to solemnise weddings. So people that come to us for a wedding, they want a secular wedding. They don't want to be married in a church. They want a very personal wedding, and that's what we're going to offer them. But they also want a legal wedding, and we we have the legal right to solemnise marriages. So people are coming to us for that reason, straight couples, gay couples, and of course, people who have been divorced and want to get married again, and their only option is a civil or a secular wedding. Um, so, you know, we're serving all of that population. So I think we've seen a steady growth now. We're up around 9% of all weddings are humanist weddings, but 10% of people are identifying as non-religious. But actually, the divorce rates in Ireland are, are very low, as we know. Mm. Um, so marriage is a very successful institution. 
Thank in God. Ireland. Thank God. And, lo- Thank God. and long may that continue. Just explain to people, though, Nolene, how a humanist wedding differs from a more traditional church wedding. Well, uh, many of your listeners will have been to one, Patricia, and the vast majority of people who join the Humanist Association of Ireland and start going to their local group meetings in Cork or Clonakilty or wherever come to us because they've been to a wedding or a funeral or a naming ceremony. So a humanist wedding. Um, I'm visualising now one of our lovely celebrants in Cork City who's just wonderful. A humanist wedding can be celebrated by a man or a woman. Um, Our celebrants are both and they're across the age range. Um, You go on the Humanist Association of Ireland website and you see what celebrants are working in your area. You give them a buzz and they talk you through the process of setting up a wedding. They can advise you on things like getting your marriage registration form and getting all your legal paperwork in order, etc. And then you sit down with your celebrant and you design the ceremony together. So our celebrants do very specific things during the ceremony in relation to the marriage registration form and very specific declarations that ensure that you are legally married. And they'll talk you through all of that. But outside of that and within the bounds of humanism, which is a very broad philosophy, you can design the wedding service that you want. And it makes it very personal, therefore, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously gay couples are coming to us. Couples that already have children are coming to us because they want their children proactively involved. People that have left the faith that they grew up in, either because just philosophically it's not for them or because they've been hurt in some way by the faith that they grew up in and they simply don't want that involved in the most important day of their life. Um, So it's, I mean, we're really proud that we have the legal right to solemnise marriages and we work really hard to uphold the reputation of our great celebrants around the country. Um, We also, importantly, because people always get hung up on weddings, you know, and everyone's the dress and the party and everything, but, you know, the more significant moments in people's lives that humanists also serve are those quieter moments, namings. Um, We offer baby naming ceremonies so that if you don't want a ceremony where we're talking about sin, original sin and things like that, you just want your baby welcomed into the world and welcomed into your community but in a dignified, reflective way, then you're likely to choose a humanist celebrant. And equally for funerals, a lot of the conversations that we find ourselves having with families are, my father's in a nursing home. He has been an atheist all his life, or he left the church after the scandals in the 80s. I'm from Wexford, so we had a lot of that, a lot of people leaving. Um, During the Ferns report, um, he really doesn't want a ceremony in the church for his funeral can you help us and we say of course and is that becoming more pop is that becoming more popular to have a humanist funeral absolutely i think there's there's a real need there um and people often associate you know humanism as something new it's not new at all um i was having dinner very luckily last night very interesting debate in leinster house and i happened to be sitting with two representatives of the jewish community who are both historians, went, I sure humanists, you've been around as long as we guys. And I was like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the idea that one can look inside one's own head and one's own stomach and say, what, what, do, what do my human senses tell me about the world that I'm living in and the moral choices that I have to make? That view has been there from time immemorial. Um, right now we call that humanism. 
where we trust our senses, we trust science, we trust what we've learned in our own life experience and what we've learned from books and from each other, and we make our moral choices based on that. So humanism has always been around. In Ireland, the association is about 25 years old. As I say, we've been legally solemnising marriages since 2012. How do you train to become a humanist so that you can provide that service of of marrying people or or doing funerals? Mm. Yeah, well, firstly, we expect anyone who would like to be considered to be a celebrant to actually be an active member of the Humanist Association of Ireland. And I would stress right now, we're not recruiting at the moment. Um, And, you know, people often say, oh, I'd love to be a celebrant. And the first thing we say to them is, that's lovely. Are you sure you're a humanist? And we always encourage people to take their time to join their local humanist group, to put some effort and reflection into what they understand as humanism. Um, And people often imagine themselves at the wedding. Don't imagine yourself at the wedding. Check, can I, can I see myself at a funeral? Can mm-hmm. I see myself holding that space, disappearing into the background, enabling the family to grieve and mourn? Do I have the strength of character that's to do tough. that? Yeah, that's, that's tough. That's humanism. Yeah. Can I hold yeah. a baby gently in front of their family and give them hope, you know, in the face of climate change? Can I do that? You know, so sometimes people think about celebrancy as just being out there. Having a great time at the wedding. And and like our (laughs) celebrants who who deliver weddings work extremely hard. Every wedding is unique. They are, as I say, they're legal weddings because there are those who can, you know, celebrate weddings, but they're not actually legal. You still have to go to the registrar's office. You still have to do all do all the the paperwork. Just just on the wedding for a sec, where where are you allowed to have a wedding and where are you not allowed to have a wedding? Yeah, this is um, this is a really important one for couples that are considering getting married and we offer specific advice. So if you ring one of our celebrants, they can say, listen, I really don't think that's that's an appropriate venue, but basically it has to be a public space and that's interpreted as somewhere where the public have access. So our celebrants would have a very good sense of venues that they have celebrated weddings in in the past where they say, yes, it, it, that constitutes a public space or I've rung the local registrar and checked that with them. Um, the law, Patricia, we had our solicitor look at this recently and the law is a great one. It goes back to, I'm sure most laws and the Irish statute books go way before, you know, the Irish state. Yeah. And it's about these rogue um, rogue celebrants, uh, not our guys, obviously, long time before us, who would marry off young girls to visiting sailors um, on the quiet. When young uh, sailors came into Dublin port, they'd be married off to local girls, right? So that's where that whole law about a public space comes from. So the law is an ancient one, but basically it says you can't have a marriage somewhere where the public don't have access. So if, if I have a big brawling man- mansion with a lovely back garden. Could I do it there then? No. Technically because, you could if yeah. the public can be there but I would say it is a complicated point of law Patricia and it's, I don't want to give a generic I know, answer I know, for all cases and all time yeah. what I'd say is talk to the humanist celebrant that you've chosen they may well know the venue yeah. 
and they'll help you tease out those questions with the venue or even get a bit of advice on it. Okay, st- stay there because um, Anne Harley from uh, Charleville. Uh, um, good morning to you, Anne. Great friend of the programme. How are you doing? Not too bad. You, you, I'm very well. You renewed your wedding vows with uh, your lovely husband, PJ, and you were the humanist. We so- did, we did. And it was so magical and so personal. And that's oh, I'm why delighted we to hear that. Yeah, we, that's why we went really with the humanist uh, celebrant because each member of the family was named, you know, yeah. individually. We had a large input on what the ceremony was about, which was very personal and heartfelt from us. Um, the celebrant was so calm, so serene, and it was such a magical day. And Anne, was the celebrant uh, aware of the reason that you were having this renewal ceremony because you you just got your terminal diagnosis for cancer. Was she aware of that? She was. Yeah. But she stated at the start, which is what I wanted to say, was this was a celebration of love, life and laughter. Ah, fantastic. You know, that was at the very start we were able to have the songs we wanted to be played at the ceremony. And, you know, there was some funny bits in the ceremony, which... Known me, you know, it had to be there. Yeah. And um, the tying of the knot was very significant to us around the, our hands. The hand t- yes. fasting, yeah. I think it was so magical. And I mean, I'd recommend it to anybody. And and while it was a renewal of, of your wedding vows, would you say it was as good as the first time round? Better, of hey. PJ. <laughs> hey, well done. There was less stress because we all had an input into it. Yeah. You know, and it was catered to our needs but at the same time it had uh, you know it had a holistic approach to the, the whole occasion Okay well you've sold it really well and how are you doing? Um, not too bad not, not too, too bad, bad. Okay. not too bad can't right. complain Hang in there hang, hang in there thanks for that okay. um, Anne well done um, uh, Noli that was Anne one of our regulars to the programme but she she sold uh, the human ceremony so well I can tell you that uh, Patricia and Clara Kilty wants to know what's the difference between a civil marriage and a humanist marriage? You can do a civil marriage with your registrar, um, and that's an option for anybody. And they they are a little bit more formulaic, I would say. Um, you know, it's a HSE official. They're doing the wedding. There's a formula. Um, and, you, you know, you might well know someone in the HSE and feel that that's absolutely the right option for you, or you've been to one of those weddings. You're like, yep, yeah, I just want very straightforward. We're signing forms. We're making our declarations, and we're done. And that, you know, that suits a lot of people. Um, I suppose a humanist ceremony, you know that you're getting all the legal work done right and correctly, but you also know that you have a celebrant there, you know, really curating that experience for you, holding your hand from the moment that you choose that celebrant right till, you know, you're about to sit down for your wedding dinner. Okay, some uh, some of the... just responding to your needs. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
some of the texts coming in. It was the most spectacular day of our lives, says this West Cork listener. We will never forget it. I would highly recommend a humanist wedding for any couple. Our family and our friends were all involved in the uh, ceremony. It was truly spectacular. And another listener says, Hi Patricia, my husband and I had a humanist wedding ceremony. Although I'm a practising Catholic, we wanted a humanist ceremony. We had a small wedding party, just close family and friends. Our celebrant was fantastic. He actually invited us to his house beforehand so we were able to tell him exactly what we wanted. (laughs) Okay, well done. Uh, uh, Well done. And there's also, Nolan, an interesting um, piece of data from Scotland that shows humanist weddings are significantly less likely to end in divorce. Yeah, um, we were fascinated by that. So the Humanist Society of Scotland are our sister association. They now provide more weddings than any other grouping in all of Scotland. So more than either of the dominant faiths or more than any other secular association. So the most popular wedding in Scotland is a humanist wedding, which is lovely. Um, But interestingly, in Scotland, they disaggregate the data on divorce rates by um, the type of wedding that you had. Now, we had a chat with the CSO, and the CSO, other than they're based in Cork, they're already great. The CSO in Ireland are fascinating. They'll answer any question they can for you. And they explain to us that right now they um, they don't look at divorce rates in Ireland on the basis of what type of marriage you had. But in Scotland... They do. Humanist weddings, they do, and humanist weddings are the least likely to result in divorce. That's interesting. That really is interesting. Okay, we leave it there, um, uh, Nolan. By the way, uh, before we let you go, um, how did you end up as CEO of the of the Humanist Association? You're formerly of this parish. You worked here uh-huh. at. I have. You did John Paul's job all those years ago when I when Derry O'Callaghan was in the, was when in I was the only seat. a child. Absolutely. I, yeah, so I'm from Wexford Town, and I started off with South East Radio. Yeah. And then I came to Cork 96 FM County Sound, as it was called at the time. What a mouthful. Yeah. Um, in the early 90s, it was the summer of the tall ships race. Yeah. And I very luckily worked with the great John Murray in the newsroom. And then I got sent out to Mallow to produce Daryl Callahan's morning chat show. Who still does Oldies in Irish, which is on, on a, a Sunday. Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, so I, had great cra- I learned a huge amount in Cork um, from the radio station and just how important local radio is. But not The city is great, but the local radio stations in particular, they're really the pulse of the community and in Ireland people listen to local radio more than national broadcasters. Which is fantastic. Um, It really is and so I I got a great start I got a great start in journalism and I went on to you know other things. Bigger and better things. We haven't forgotten you we haven't forgotten you that's for sure. Before I go there is a great meeting in Cork on the 5th of June now it's in Cork City but the local humanist group meet there in Mead's Wine Bar in Oliver Plunkett Street and the next meeting is the 5th of June at half 7. Okay. All right. Yeah. listen uh, great to chat to you and no doubt we'll talk again but thank you for that sure, and thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Good morning bye. to you. That is uh, Nolene Hartigan CEO of the Humanist Association of Ireland. Hello, this is Rod Stewart. We've given it away. The Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play on C103. Hi there. Hi, what's your name? Marie. What's your surname, Marie? Feelin. And where are you from, Marie Feelin? I'm from Dunmire. Marie Feelin. You just won 3,000 euros! Oh, my God! 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 O
So, congratulations to Marie Phelan from Glanmire for winning €3,000 on the Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. And stay listening for the best way to win big on C103. Off to Fomoy Garda Station where we're joined by Sergeant John Kelly for this week's Garda File. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. Uh, and, and you're welcome. We start with um, two break-ins. Yeah, Patricia, your listeners would already be aware of one because I was on to you last uh, Friday and it was quite, it was quite an, an active day last Friday. Um, it started, I suppose, at half nine on Friday morning last, where you had uh, over in Glanworth, um, the injured party in this particular case, uh, their alarm, they, they got a text message from the alarm, basically, that there had been an activation. At that stage, then, they observed uh, a gold Volvo F60 in the driveway, and they observed three males running from, from his house who knocked him over. The, the Volvo exited the scene with with, uh, with four on board. So the three males that rang plus a male driver. Now, it was spotted by Gardy and was followed until abandoned in in, Drum, in Drumlehan, uh over there uh, near near Mallow. Now, from Drumlehan then onto, onto Bulling, they took to the fields. Now, there was one fellow got found in a, in a, hiding in the drain by the guards. Um, now, uh, he was he was arrested, brought from my guard station, and um, he will be appearing before the court. But three three others took to the fields. Now, I suppose, <clears throat> to be honest, uh, I want to pay tribute to C103 and also to the listeners. You know, we got um, plenty of reports in from them, uh, following advice that was given out, and um, there was a lot of guards and indeed members of the public assisted. You know, in looking for them, unfortunately. You know, as as nighttime came, they weren't they weren't found. But I think uh, a lesson has been learned, and um, that they won't be so fast. Maybe some of them to come down. And Absolutely, because you reckon from they're from Dublin. You believe yeah, they're from believe, Dublin. Yeah, we believe um, they're from. But Rome, but but also but. the the alarm on the house. The alarm in the house played I mean, a factor. That, yeah, the alarm in the house paid for itself over and over again. You know, um, now we hadn't seen. It may be, I don't know whether they didn't observe the bell box or whatnot, because most houses are broken into, do not have alarms. You know, and in this case, um, they broke into an alarmed house, which um, was one that wasn't connected to a monitoring station, but it sent out uh, a text, a text to, to the injured party who was nearby. Great, you know, Great. And he was in a position to intervene. So a common denominator with all those, you'll always find it, it's kind of Volvo's, uh, some of the stabs, even though that make is now discontinued, but uh, you, you know they're also a very powerful car. Um, you, you know, Passats, stuff like that. You know, they're the cars that they tend to have. You yeah. know, you're not going to find them drive, driving around in a small 1.4. Generally speaking, you know, they have a fast car that if they are have to engage in a chase, that they'll be well able for a chase. Now, obviously, we have to be very careful. You know, with some of the driving, you know, that those guys do because. They have a reason to want to try and get away. You don't um, want to risk members of the public if they're driving. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so look. Um, but there's one before so, the courts, which which is great. And there was also a car broken into in Buttevant. There was a car broken into uh, in, in Buttevant. And that was and that was on Tuesday. Now, Tuesday last was an active day again, where we had um, uh, a car was broken into at, um, I think, around... Uh, Rossa East, or Buttevant, okay. right? Was, right, where it was parked. Back window of the car was uh, smashed and there was a handbag taken. Now, if there was anyone in the area there, 
about 2.30 to 3 o'clock, so last Tuesday. You know, now that type of crime is starting again. We saw a car broken into outside the, the graveyard in Killa, which couldn't be on a more public area. You know, the main, you know, the main Cork Waterford Road passes exactly where the car was parked, you know, in the middle of, an, of the afternoon. So obviously, there are fellas driving around now just looking for property left in cars. Quick look in, there's no one around, they'll break the window and take it. So please make sure the property is not left on open display. Uh, in you know, in cars. Yeah, now, and that's particularly important if you're going for walks or if you're going to visit a graveyard and you're leaving the car parked, uh, even the car park or outside the graveyard. Okay, absolutely. And and just for not all to be kind of on with with you, you know with bad news, you know, prior to prior to last Friday, you you, you know, we had three days in a row where there was no break in whatsoever in the Great. North division, Great. which is a huge huge division, you know. So, uh, but. When it comes, it, it tends to be those uh, gangs of travelling criminals operating out of uh, large urban areas. Um, we see them coming down um, to to Tipperary. When they come here, they tend to, uh, you, you know, sometimes get, get picked up, you know. Um, so another thing, just last Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday as well, and that happened over in Charleville. A house was broken into, and Charleville Road, Newmarket, in, uh, in actual fact, um, where the it was vacant for, for maybe just about an hour and a half from about 12.30 until about 2 o'clock. That's last Tuesday, the 25th. So if there was anyone in the area, Charleville Road, uh, Newmarket, you know, if you saw any suspicious activity, if you saw, you know, a car hanging around, it might might even be that that same crowd that broke into the car on Tuesday above in Butterfield. It could be the same crowd, you okay. know. Uh, so... Right. To, just for people to bear that in mind. Okay, and we have a, just we, give us a ring. We have a bank holiday weekend uh, coming up. I was reading a shocking statistic. This is the June bank holiday weekend is one of the weekends where uh, we have a tendency a lot of people killed on our roads. Uh, I mean, I take it the advice is just be careful out there. Yeah, for people just to be careful, you know, take take breaks. You know, there's plenty of garages you park in, you know, your your local centre to spare, park in, get a cup of coffee, you know, have that walk around for 10 minutes, but it can happen to anyone, you know. If you're just after flying in, Maybe or something, and and you're after being up overnight. You you know you can tend to, anyone can close their eyes, you know, for for a moment, and that's the moment that uh, that's the moment that uh, could have very very unfortunate consequences, not alone for your family but for other families on the road. For for, for people just to bear that in mind, take breaks. Um, now, just another thing, for, uh, warning for retailers: Ford fifties have been turning up lately. There was four of them turned up at the premises in Mallow during the week. I'm aware of other premises where they're turned up. Look, uh, just make sure that you that you check the notes when they're coming in. Particularly, one very uh, sure way: if you don't have a marker pen, just get your note, plain white sheet of paper, rub it vigorously, and on the actual good note, the proper note, uh, the ink never dries on a proper uh, note. You know, never and, dries. And ne- it, it's a special type of ink; it never okay. dries. So, if if you're lucky enough to have a fifty in your pocket. <laughs> no, take it out, rub it on a white sheet of paper, uh, you know, and you'll see a small amount of the ink will be left on the white sheet of paper. You know, it's a very, very simple test. You have the other tests as regards with UV light that you'll find a small little, it's like the corn in a cake. You'll see small little coloured threads running through it, mm. as well as other features that are on the, on, on the note. But be warned, this is the type of weekend for retailers. Yeah, you know, a lot of people around, but there could be some... Ford 50s around as well. And those you know. pens are very reliable, aren't they, to, to identify the real The thing. last, I, I just heard now from, from a premises during the week, right, and there seemed to be a, she, a, color, a kind of a, a plastic sheeting on, on the, 
on the forged note yeah. and it gave a bad reading, you know. So by all means, the best thing to have, and that's a good pair of eyes, a very good cashier, mm. right? You can give them 100 notes and I can tell you, you could blindfold them and they'd, and they'd know. Yeah. They don't want out of, out of the Okay, so just be careful because they, they'll target businesses usually at the close of business, they'll target young people that are working in, the, in, yes. in a busy premises, yeah. Uh, so just be careful. Okay. Uh, this and thanks for that, uh, Johnson. Thank you very and much thanks a million for joining us. Good morning to you. Yeah. Bye bye. That is uh, from Moy based uh, Garda Sergeant. John Kelly. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Let's give away a family pass to the Inishannon Steam Rally in its 22nd year and it's happening this weekend. It's on Sunday, June 2nd and Monday, June 3rd. Over a thousand uh, exhibits. There's going to be a pet corner, numerous stands and stalls, art and craft display. There's a dog show and there's also sheep dog uh, trials. You can check out everything that's going to be happening at Inishannon this weekend by logging onto their website, ISV Inishannon Vintage. I'm assuming ISVRally.com. We have a family pass to give away. Let's give it away to caller number nine to get through to John Paul now if you you and your family are planning to go and you really would like to go along please only enter 1850 and actually the organisers have been really kind with the tickets the family passes they have given us they're, they're allowing the winner to dictate what day they'd like to go so if it suits to go Sunday you can pop along or if it suits to go Monday you can go there instead and it is a family pass which is a family of four people to the Inishan and Steam and Vintage Rally uh, on this weekend get dialing on that please 1850-333-103 and while we await our winner Hold on to that number if you are planning on getting a pet question into us because Jane, our resident vet, will be joining us after half past 12 today. But you can text or WhatsApp in a pet question. One of the animals in your house, a little bit unwell, out of sorts, looking for advice, 0862 103 103. Some of your comments coming into the programme this morning. Firstly, a message and a plug for some events that are happening in Ballydehob, please. A WhatsApper says, uh, today at the Community Centre St. Matthias Church, they have their annual fundraising Ascension Day. It's on from one to four. There will be foods, gifts and more. Okay, that's in Ballydehob. And also their art exhibition opens tonight for the summer season at the Bank House Community building. So Bally de Hob, a busy, busy place. And there was a lovely WhatsApp in. There's no name on this, but this is a really sweet message. St. Patricia, could you wish a safe and a holy trip to all of those travelling on the Cloyne pilgrimage to Lourdes tomorrow? Especially those fantastic volunteers who without them pilgrimages simply wouldn't happen. If you ever want to see youth at their very best then join a pilgrimage to Lourdes. These young people give of their time so generously. They go out as strangers, but they return home a Lourdes family. They've made friends for life. Isn't that lovely? And I've spoken to people down through the years who would have, as a, who are now adults, but as a young person, went on a pilgrimage to Lourdes. At Lourdes and I have never heard anyone talk in a negative way about it. Everybody says, you know, it made a lasting impression on their lives. And it is great that young people give up of their time like that and and go out to Lourdes. And it's terrific to think that it's still happening. It still goes on. But that texture uh, is right because people, when they go on pilgrimages, 
to Lourdes. Many people are unwell and they may be elderly and they need help and they wouldn't be able to go. They wouldn't be able to travel if they didn't have the volunteers. And it's the in the main, it's you know, it's not just only young people, but in the main, it's young people go out as volunteers in Lourdes. So well done. Have a wonderful, wonderful trip guys that's to Lourdes and they are heading off uh, tomorrow and uh, light a candle and say a prayer for us all please now let me go back to the eggs do you remember the listener who contacted us who was looking for advice uh, she's keeping hens and I'm assuming keeping them for the first time three of them delighted with herself she's got three fresh eggs every day but she noticed of late that there's a bit of blood in the yolk of the egg now she's throwing the egg away but now she's starting to worry that if she boils hard boils the egg she won't know until she's halfway through it will there be this spot of blood and she's just wondering what's causing it and also she's questioning now is it still safe to use the eggs like that and my initial reaction now I've never kept hens but I have bought eggs and I've seen that little spot of blood in it and I've never thrown the egg away so when I saw this message coming in I was saying my god am I doing something wrong over the years anyway it seems I'm not you don't need to throw the egg away at all but a huge reaction on this some of your commentary in on it a listener says Patricia as regards the eggs a burst blood vessel on the yolk surface during the formation of the egg or by a similar accident in the wall of the oviduct that's what explains what the splash of blood is both chemically and nutritionally eggs with blood spots are fit to eat and that comes from somebody who really sounds like they know what is going on June also says safe to eat the egg with the blood it could just be the time of the year and that's why she's only noticing it now Betty lives near McCroom she's kept hens all of her life all of her life she says it's very common to have blood spots in the egg yolk this can happen because of a ruptured blood vessel very safe to eat don't be worrying about it at all Lyndon from Moy says I've noticed the same thing before uh, but it seems to be particularly common in the last few months I bake a lot and I'm also the type that makes the big breakfast at the weekend and the family love their scrambled eggs I've also noticed blood spots I just keep using the eggs I says Linda always thought it was a sign of freshness and Kathleen Eskibreen says I buy my eggs in the shop and I've noticed it also on shop bought ones so it isn't just your organic ones and your ones that uh, our listeners is getting from her own uh, garden I've noticed of late that there's more of these blood spots in the egg it's getting more common Catherine reckons she doesn't recall seeing it in previous years so is it something new I don't know maybe it's just the supplier of uh, the egg so thank you for that and also to the listener who was wondering about wild rabbits Sheila contacted us where are all the wild rabbits gone she said normally at this time of the year the side of the roads would be alive with baby rabbits and she's noticed she's not seeing any of them actually I might ask um, Jane our resident vet when she comes in she might have uh, she might have an explanation for it and Sheila says she's hardly seen any this year and she's wondering why June says I walk around my land all of the time and she said there are plenty of areas hedgerows etc for rabbits to be um, and where they would normally live but I have to agree with Sheila, I haven't seen as many this year. To be honest, I haven't seen as many in the last number of years and there's hardly any this year. It's kind of a worrying sign, isn't it, for the environment and all of uh, that. And someone else on the blood spots in the in the chicken, in the egg, says, if that egg was incubated, you'd have a chicken. Would you? 
I don't know enough if that is true or not. Thank you for that. On sciatica, Pat says, Patricia, you were giving advice about sciatica and somebody suggested yoga or Pilates. Just to let people know if they are going down that route, you'll be doing the Pilates about three weeks and then you'll start to get amazing good relief. And that's what Pat has found. Thank you for that, uh, Pat. Patricia, the best cure for sciatica, this is another text in, is exercise. The listeners have been saying that are absolutely right. But the best way to do it, or another way to do it, not the best, another way to do it, is to use a slender tone ab belt. It builds up your core stomach muscles. It worked very well for me. All right, so... the two things are there I can't get over the number of people that are suffering with sciatic at the minute I mentioned it yesterday because Colm contacted us and he's kind of desperate just looking for uh, looking for a cure just something to relieve the symptoms because I think people get to the stage where they just hate constantly taking pain relief and looking for some other way around it so that's what kicked it off yesterday I can't get over the number of people who contacted us who've been suffering with um, sciatica, but also terrific to see that a lot of people are looking to help themselves by going down that exercise route and not just sort of saying, oh, I have to put up with this, I have to live with this forevermore. You know, people are, are being very proactive about it. So, so well done. And I hope Colm gets back and lets us know that everything is OK. And Margaret and Tala was on to say, just to let you know, in the Tala area, she's lots of baby rabbits in uh, her yard. So maybe it's just in particular areas. You can stop calling us on the Inner Shannon Steam Rally because we have our family pass to give away and the winner is Nora O'Driscoll in Kilmichael. Congratulations to you Nora O'Driscoll in Kilmichael. You'll be heading off to Inishan and you can go on either the Sunday or the Monday and the organisers behind the Inishan and Steam Rally in its 22nd year have given us another voucher to give away which we will give away tomorrow. Okay, the final one tomorrow in advance of the event happening this weekend. Get your pet questions into us please 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie the Kildallery Community Lotto Draw that's taking place in Sheehan's Bar. That is tonight. There is a jackpot, lucky dip draws, and this draw supports facilities in the Kildallery Community. Clyde Rovers GAA, their Lotto Draw will be in the Hill Bar in Bottle Hill. That's tomorrow night, uh, Friday. While well, a reminder that the All Star floorball fundraiser we highlighted this on the programme last week will be held in the Mallow Youth Centre this Saturday from 10 until 5pm it's a fun day with a raffle at disco and it's in aid of Special Olympics Munster and Cleona's Foundation there is a bus from Mallow going to knock on this Saturday for the All-Ireland Rosary Rally Lee's Church the Resurrection 7.15 and St Mary's Church at half seven you can contact Marjorie to book a place 87 28236631 and Liz Griffin National School will hold their annual Open Sports Day on the Bank Holiday Monday 
in O'Mahony's grounds in Lisgriffin in Bottlewind. Registration is open from one. First race is at half past one and it's a great family day out. C103 presents the 22nd Inishannon Steam Rally, June 2nd and 3rd. See old time threshing, steam engines, old vintage tractors, cars, trucks, motorbikes and the parade of old harvest machinery. There's cake sales, vintage club displays, trade stands, sheepdog trials, dog show, tug of war and more. With a pet's corner, a fun fair and live entertainment. See Inishannon Steam and Vintage Rally there's fun for all the family at the Inshannon Steam Rally, June 2nd and 3rd with C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, yesterday during my chat with uh, community activist Finbar Harrington from West Cork, he mentioned that he wanted to wish the best of luck to the boys and the staff from Trafask National School on the Beira Peninsula because they were heading to the Aviva Stadium in Dublin to take part in the final of the FAI Five-A-Side Soccer Tournament. Well... The boys from Trafask National School only went in one and their principal, Louisa O'Donoghue, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Louisa. Good afternoon, Patricia. And congratulations. Thank you so much. What does it feel like to be all Ireland champions? Oh my goodness, we're super excited here at Trafask National School today. Okay, talk me through how you got to the stage of getting to the final yesterday. Well, um, I suppose we entered the competition um, back in February of okay. this year and we went uh, through Clannacilty and then we went through Cork qualifiers in Blarney and we went on to the county qualifiers in Turner's Cross and won that and then proceeded to Limerick to the Munster finals and won that and we found <laughs> ourselves in the Viva Stadium yesterday. And who were you up against yesterday? We were up against uh, a team from Donegal um, a team from Sligo and a team from Offaly. Were they all equal schools of equal sizes or would they be bigger schools than your own? Um, they would be slightly bigger, all right. Trafask was one of the smallest schools to participate in the competition, so really it's a huge achievement for us all. So we're immensely proud. Um, so like there was 192 children um, that took part yesterday from 22 schools. Okay. Um, and was it a knockout thing yesterday or was it, how did that work yesterday? Uh, round robin. Round robin, okay. Yeah. So we played all all other provinces. Yeah. And we came out the winners in the day. We were delighted. <laughs> was the, what was the tension like on the day? I mean, oh, you huge tension. <laughs> now, the first game was okay. We won a 2 0 yeah. against Donegal. The second game was closer, much closer actually. It was 3 2. Okay. And the third game then we drew. So, like, we were 3-0 up at half-time and then they they got three goals to, to level um, just before the whistle went and we were just... Our luck was in in the day and we were very lucky to come away with our win. But, like, it was our second year, our second year in a row now at the, the Aviva. So, really and truly, this was our year and we were delighted to... And when you went last... How, how did you do last year? Last year we came second. Okay. Oh, you were runners up last we were year. Okay, all right. Yeah. So you've gone all the way this year. How many travelled yesterday? Uh, well, the parents took the children. So okay. There's uh, nine in the squad, and then there were other supporters that travelled as well. So it's a huge effort by everybody. And you did, did they go up and down in one day? No, they no. travelled on the Tuesday. Oh yeah, yeah, they would need that. They would yeah. need that. And who's the who's the coach? I mean, it's who's the who's the soccer fanatic from on on the staff? A, a soccer fanatic. We, we're all big soccer fans. <laughs> now, to be honest, is it a team effort? Um, their teacher, Paula Sullivan. Now she's 
speaking to soccer herself okay. and their other coach, uh, Aidan Crimmon. Um, he's very, very good to us, really, and truly we're very lucky to have him on board. Uh, he's local Garda and trains the children with their local GE team, Adrigal GE, and he also coaches them in soccer. So, so it's a huge l- team effort. Okay, so soccer, you, uh, what, is it football you play? Gaelic football? Yes, yeah, football, yeah. Right, okay. So they won the skiing skull last week as well, so it's all... It's all um, good news here at Trafask. They're, a, they're a, a competitive little bunch, aren't they? On a winning streak, mm, yeah. Way to go. Have you any other competitions coming up that we should be keeping a look out for? Mm, we're going to enjoy this now and relish the <laughs> moment at the moment. And we'll, um, we'll think about that at well, the later stage. So the words, obviously... It was all going on in the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, but people were being kept uh, informed back home. Was that the way the way the day way the day played out yesterday? That's right. Yeah, we're a very close community here, and um, you know there was WhatsApp groups, and you know the parents are so good, and they've been sending videos back home and sending messages, and likewise we were receiving good wishes from other local schools and from the community in general, and people have been absolutely terrific. That's great. And what was the homecoming like? The homecoming was fabulous. Uh, We drove in convoy from Glengariff and it was wonderful to see the community lining the roads and welcoming the team home. Did you light any bonfires? There were a bonfire too, all right. (laughs) Now the big question, will they get a half day tomorrow? A half day? Well, now they had a a little rest this morning. Did they? Some of them are only after arriving in now and we have a party going on and it's lovely for the other children who didn't go to the Aviva yesterday. They're all involved now and they're super excited about seeing the cup and welcoming back the team. And no homework tonight. And no homework tonight. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll let you get back to the celebrations, uh, Louisa. It's a terrific story. Uh, Well done. And we actually had some people uh, earlier on this morning saying for us to give a mention and and to wish you all the best. But we held off because we knew that Louisa was coming on, so we wanted to do it now. So there's there's a a great feeling of uh, joy in the area and people just wanting to say well done to, uh, and, you know, to the boys themselves, but, you know, particularly to the school. It's it's a huge, huge achievement for a small school uh, out on the Peninsula, and you can be very, very proud. So, well done, Thank Louisa. You, well done. Thank you so well much. Done. Can I also mention, actually, Patricia, that um, Super Value and Castown Bear have just sponsored us um, lovely food for the day, nice treats. I have that. That's really they good. Have. So, That's we're very good. thankful to that, and we're very thankful to Spar for sponsoring the boys' kits and to all those people who sent good wishes and all those people who made it all happen. Okay. So, we're, we're very, very, very grateful. Onwards and upwards, and three in a row next year. For the finals. Hopefully we're going to enjoy today now the celebrations and we'll we'll think about that at another date. Congratulations to you. Thanks, Thanks a million love. for taking Take our care. call. Bye bye, bye bye. That is uh, Louisa O'Donoghue who was the principal of uh, Trafask National School from um, Adrigal on the Bearer Peninsula. That is a, that really is an amazing achievement to win an All-Ireland, to pick up an All-Ireland uh, award for a small school like that. So, so well done. Uh, 1850 Keep your pet questions coming in, uh, please. Uh, somebody says when we're talking about the rabbits, the greens will be back, all the rabbits. And uh, I imagine that's a little bit tongue in cheek. Now, there was also a question in about an old age pension that I just want to get the message out. Oh, here it is. Uh, uh, hi, Trish. When a person is due to get 
when a person gets to old age pension age 66 isn't it now um, do you have to apply for your old age pension or does it ar- arrive automatically if you do have to apply where do you get the forms from many thanks enjoying your show thank you for that okay you do have to apply there is a form called an SPC1 form if you go into if you have access online and if you go into welfare.ie, you will see the form that has to be filled in in order to get your state uh, contributory pension. I'm assuming it's a contributory pension, but it will be the same for a non-contributory pension as well. Uh, you need to fill it in. They suggest that you apply three months before reaching pension age. And by the way, if you don't claim within six months of being eligible, you could lose out on some payment. So I don't know what age the texter is contacting us today. But if you're coming up to or it's going to happen later on this year, within three months, you need to start applying. So as I say, you can go on to welfare.ie and download the form. You can call into, I imagine, any welfare office. I don't know where the text is coming from. The welfare office will have it. And Citizens Information are also another uh, great bunch. And I just took a quick look down through it. I mean, it's basically all the things like your name and address and um, all the inf- and your, your PPS number, obviously, is very important. And then they ask you all the usuals. You know, are you married and your, your, your husband, wife, your partner's details. Um, there's also things then, your employment, where you were employed, how long you were employed. Were you employed out of this country? Uh, Were you self-employed? All of that is in it. And there's also, just to note, on part three, talks about your payment details. And it says you can get your payment at a post office of your choice or you can get it direct to your current deposit or saving accounts in a financial institute. And if you're going to have it paid directly into your bank account, they look for your all your bank details but there's also a space below that for the post office where you can nominate the post office where you wish to collect your payment and it's it's straight out it's laid out straight in front of you they're not pushing one or the other they make it quite clear you can either have it straight into your bank account or you can have it to the post office and obviously we encourage people to please get payments like that made into to the post office because that is what is going to keep post offices going into the future. Uh, there's a lot of, I'm just looking at all the pages. I'm at, I'm at part six of the, and I'm still going on. And there's a part seven, which is to do with all your spouse's details. There's a part eight to do with it. Now, I'm assuming some of it you won't need to to fill in at all. And then you yeah, at the very end, you sign it and, and you send it all off and it has to go back to Sligo. Isn't that where all the forms go for the Department of Social Protection or what is the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection on College Road in uh, Sligo. But yes, a bit of a long-winded answer there, wasn't it? The answer to the question is yes, you need to apply and you need to apply three, at least three months before you reach pension age. 1850-333-103. Jane Pickett, our resident vet, I spot, is in the building. So she joins us to answer all of your pet questions. If you have a pet question for Jane, get it in, please. You can call John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me to 86 103 This is the Court Today replay on C103. 
and Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, which is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins me in studio. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. And you're very welcome. We had a call in earlier and I said I'd asked Jane about this. Somebody was on to us, was wondering that they haven't seen a lot of wild rabbits. And normally at this time of the year, she says the side of the roads usually would be alive with baby rabbits. Mm-hmm. And she's hardly seen any this year. And she was wondering, anybody else noticed the same? We called it out and a few others reckoned in the last number mm-hmm. of years there isn't as many rabbits. You know, I was speaking to JP about this um, just beforehand and, you know, it's actually the opposite for me. So I've seen a lot more baby rabbits on our own passageway at home than I would have in the last 10 years. Now, there's a good reason for that. So some people in some areas may see less rabbits and I may be seeing more in my part of the country. Yeah, and that that would explain that. And that is probably because of a disease called myxomatosis. Okay. Okay. So it's a disease that unfortunately our wild rabbits can suffer from and they may fall foul of it and not survive. And we do find that it sweeps around some areas so let's say it might reduce the rabbit population in one area and then So where she lives, where she lives they could have had myxomatosis. Exactly. Ah, and it okay. might be going through the population a little bit and where I live it may have for the last 10 years been going through my area and now we have little baby rabbits again so it kind of comes and goes it runs through areas and then settles down. Yeah because Margaret in Tallow funny enough mm-hmm. was on to say loads of baby rabbits were where she's living. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now one thing I would say on that note is for, for the poor little wild rabbits it's unfortunately a part of being a wild animal is that we we do get diseases in the in the wild population occasionally but if you're well if you're a rabbit owner of a pet rabbit in any area one really important point is that pet rabbits can catch the same disease if they have any contact even a nose through a fence with a wild rabbit okay now there is a vaccine which is the important thing so I would say if you have a little pet rabbit even if you see loads of happy baby bunny rabbits running around and you have no problem in your local area it's always best to get your own pet rabbit vaccinated just to make sure they're safe because it takes such little contact to transfer the disease so it's important It's, and it's a horrible disease isn't it? It is unfortunately yeah. for the poor little they wild die, rabbits They die yeah. they, they do. death They, it's they do horrible. It, It's really bless them is it, and is it as bad as, I mean many years ago we were talking about it mixed mm-hmm. I th- I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually surprised to hear that you still say it's there I thought it was gone I thought it had been yeah. eradicated as I say I think it does kind of fluctuate in the population does it, it kind right. of comes up goes away and you might have years where there's uh, a great bounding population of rabbits and they're not having many problems and then it can kind of just weevil its way back in again so it, it does come and go Okay alright let me get into uh, questions 1850 to John Paul or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103103. Hi, would be grateful if you could ask Jane the vet about our Springer. She follows us from room to room, cannot be alone, even outside, which means that when we let her out in the morning, she's scratching at the door immediately to be allowed back in. She's recently started to guard the front door by sitting in the hall and starts barking when anybody comes to the door. I now have to push her in bed before answering the door. I'm hoping it's not total boredom, but if it is, why won't she go out into the garden? Our garden is quite long and wide. She is, by the way, walked every day. She was a rescue dog. We got her at four months of age. She was in a kennel up to that. Would that have anything to do with it? Mm. Yes, in short. So this is quite common with rescue dogs. Um, I suppose the really important thing to bear in mind with a pet that's been rehomed is that sometimes we never know what they've been through before. Mm. Okay, sometimes it might just be relocation because something may have changed in their family dynamic, but sometimes some less savoury things can happen to our pets and and they have a long memory. Okay, so now that 
we're settled into our nice new home it is a it is a period of adjustment definitely now sometimes this can take a number of years really if you have a pet that's particularly nervous this sounds like a case of separation anxiety to me um so a combination of following them around the house not wanting to be apart from them and go into the garden on their own and kind of guarding the door they're guarding their family God bless. Okay. Um, so I think a lot of the time our little rescue dogs and cats, particularly when they find a nice new home and they're kind of settling, they can be quite insecure for a little while. They don't know if one day you're just going to go away and not come back, particularly if they've been in a kenneled environment. Um, it can be quite stressful for them during that period of time and they, they do always quite remember it. I think the best ways of dealing with this would be let your pet do what it's comfortable with. I wouldn't stress out too much about it because your dog will pick up on the stress. So it's important to just be calm and relaxed um, for as long as it takes. I would suggest, it sounds like you're doing a good job taking him out for lots of walks and I'm sure he probably enjoys that. If he doesn't want to voluntarily go into the garden on his own because he would be on his own, which is most likely the reason he'd be away from you, um, then that's okay too. Just let him do what he's comfortable with. You can do um other things like you can use plugins um they're almost like air fresheners as it were that have kind of dog happy hormones a relax hormone it's very similar to the the smell that they would get off a, a pregnant mum when they were pups um so it's nothing we can smell but they'd be able to smell it and some of them do respond well particularly anxious dogs and relax a little bit in their presence so plugging in a, a diffuser you can get them from the pharmacy or your vet in the area where he spends the most time might be a helpful thing to just calm, it calm the situation work. a little bit yeah. but I think I wouldn't be in favour of let's say if he doesn't want to spend time apart from you I wouldn't be in favour of enforcing time apart okay. unless it's necessary for let's say you to go out to work during the day for example now I know that that's totally necessary in some situations with a dog with separation anxiety if you can pop back occasionally during the day if that's something feasible then that's good because they'll get into a routine and routine is really important for these dogs structure lets them know that you're always going to come back I am mm. um, so trying to keep it's, 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 a, it's, a re- it's reassurance isn't it it's reassurance and it's them knowing what's going to happen in their day you have to remember that they may have had a, an absolute 180 on their lifestyle before particularly if they've been rescued um, and it may be very different and I think a lot of the time they just need to settle into a routine and a pattern and to be honest sometimes it can take quite a while but what I would say is it's incredibly rewarding yeah. rehoming a dog is one of the nicest things you can do you're giving them a home for life as it were and they will reward you in with bags of love if you just put the time in so it's definitely well worth it we had but, Lisa um, Sullivan on the programme from the ISPCA yes. on a uh, fantastic <laughs> woman on on Monday and actually we ended up talking about that and uh, the amount of people who contact us who had a rescued animal said you will never mm-hmm. experience the love that you will get from a rescued it's as if the dog knows I know, think they, it is a lot of the me. time it's totally unconditional yeah. they are incredible and it's definitely worth something to okay something so to hang do. in there things will get better exactly. things will get better exactly Joan in McCroom now has an interesting one. Question for Jane Yvette, please. I have a female Jack Russell, 11 months old. She went into heat in March, didn't fall pregnant. By the way, we don't want to breed her, so that was fine. She's going to be neutered in the next few weeks. For the past couple of weeks, I've noticed she's had some very strange behaviour. She's hoarding lots of her toys in her kennel and spends a lot of time during the day in there as if minding the toys. Mm -hmm. If I try to take one away, she'll start whimpering and wants it back. Why is she doing this? She's obsessed with hoarding her toys at the moment. Is it just a phase she's going through? We've had a lot of dogs over the years and I've never seen this behaviour before from Joan in McCroom. Mm, 
this is really interesting. So it could just be behavioural. It could just be for one reason or other she wants to hoard her toys. But to be honest, given that she's had uh, been in season recently mm-hmm. enough um, and is an entire lady, I would suspect she probably thinks in her own mind, I'm pregnant. So we can... It's a phantom pregnancy. A phantom pregnancy, exactly. Oh, wow. So it it is an interesting phenomenon. So we do find sometimes that they will have kind of nesting behaviours. It's kind of uh, trying to make a comfortable environment to bring new puppies into the world, as it were. And we, sometimes we see them, let's say, finding an unusual place to lie and sit in the house, somewhere usually quieter than normal and nice and small. Um, and we do sometimes get, in, get the, the phenomena of them bringing lots of supplies to the area. <laughs> so they really are kind of setting up home, if that makes yeah. sense. Nesting. Uh, nesting a little yeah. bit. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a lot of the time, this will just blow over okay. in its own time. Now, sometimes we may get other signs, like they may begin to even make milk. Mm-hmm. Um, the body is an incredible thing and the brain is an incredible thing. So sometimes that may even happen. What I would say is spaying is definitely the best way to go. Um, because you'll be reducing the chance of her getting pregnant and certainly if you don't want to breed that's the best thing we have an abundance of unwanted puppies in the country and we don't need to add any more so it's definitely a responsible choice but what I would say is maybe have a chat to your vet before you go about spaying just pop into your vet and maybe get him to give her a check over just to see that it is maybe just purely behavioural at this point and she's not making milk or anything like that sometimes we might need to give them a, a particular hormone drug to settle things down if they were making milk for their imaginary new little little puppies as it were and the final word of caution I would have is although you may not think she might have been caught by a little male dog is maybe just double check have a chat to your vet and they might be able to do a little scan of the belly to double check there's not any visitors hiding in there you haven't a really happy surprise and then failing that leave leave her hang on to the toys don't be taking them away from her because you're only upsetting her exactly just just let her do her thing absolutely I think it's not doing anyone any harm Uh, Hi I have a seven year old Bichon Frise Uh, she often brings up what I would describe as a clear foamy liquid but last week it was dark and bloody um, looking so I went straight to the vet. She got Mm -hmm. injections and antibiotics which by the way just finished today. Mm -hmm. She's taking the last of the antibiotics and it's happened again this morning. Any ideas? I think return to your vet for some advice. Okay. Okay. Um, From what you're saying it sounds like it was a a vomit. Um, Sometimes they can cough up things and it can look very similar to vomiting and I'm sure if your vets your vets probably discussed to you with you to try and figure out which it is so let's assume it's a bloody vomit sometimes that can mean a little bit of a, a small bleed in the stomach um and and a bit of a tummy upset as it were now if things have settled on the course of treatment your vet has given then that's really encouraging but if the signs are reappearing now I think it's definitely warrants a revisit to your vet we as vets we, we don't feel bothered by seeing our patients back in fact we love it because a lot of the time we we don't get to see the outcome and if there is an ongoing problem we definitely want to want to help um, so I would say in this case I wouldn't wait if you're concerned pop back yeah. to your vet for some further attention and they'll be able to guide you and make a little plan for how to how to help her out a little bit more Okay Molly says Hi I've got a 13 year old Maltese uh, she gets very breathless when we're out walking what could it be it's obviously 13 month 13, old that's a young 13 month yeah, old that's a young dog It's quite young um, so one thing I would say is 
if it's genuine breathlessness, if we're struggling for breath and she's slowing down and doesn't seem to tolerate exercise very well. So if she's kind of staying by your side rather than running off or if she's a lot slower than usual, then I would say definitely pop to your vet. She needs a physical exam. That would be really important. The second thing I would say is sometimes it is quite normal for dogs to pant a lot to get rid of heat if they've been out exercising. It's kind of our equivalent of sweating in the same way. Mm. Um, So if it is just panting and she seems very relaxed and she's running about as normal otherwise, then it may just be her normal behaviour in trying to blow off that excess heat she's generated by doing lots of running around. But if you do genuinely feel she is struggling for her breath or if she's slowing down on the walks or looks like she's at all bothered by getting the air into her lungs, and just looks a little bit distressed or anything like that then definitely pop to your vet for an examination and she might well need some further tests what could it be you know 13 year old puppy 13 month 13 month old puppy um there's many things it could be sometimes it can be a problem with the lungs or a lung infection even very occasionally it can be a problem with the heart so i think they will both be important things to to make sure that it's not a problem but as i say there's a strong chance if she's just looks like normal and she's just breathing a little bit more than usual when she's out walking there's a strong chance she might just be panting the heat off but it's important to know the difference okay and somebody says can you get your vet to talk about fleas please i've just noticed my cat come in and uh, the, she definitely has picked up fleas. What's the best advice? Oh, my heart season. goes out to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the best thing to do is you need to do a flea product. So visit your vet for a flea product. I think that's one important thing. The ingredients that we have at our disposal as regards drugs tend to be very effective. Whereas what I would say is ones that you might get elsewhere, they're a little bit hit and miss sometimes. So visit your pharmacist or your vet to get appropriate treatment. Now, the important thing as well is the eggs can survive, particularly with cats, in the environment with cats for up to 13 months. So you need to be continuously doing a flea preventative for your cat. You should really be doing it long ongoing to prevent it, but for at least a year with a cat because they will be reinfecting themselves if there's any flea eggs knocking around. So it's a long term treatment, as it were. I would suggest hot washing any bedding or any kind of soft furnishings that your cat really likes to go near um, because kill off the eggs eggs, exactly and your vet will be able to supply you with an environmental spray so that's something to spray on let's say the skirting boards the bits of carpet etc the places the kind of dark warm places are where fleas like to live and it's really important to note that as well it's definitely worth continuing with treatment as per your vet's plan even if you don't see any fleas on your dog or cat they will be hiding in the environment a lot of the time they'll be hiding in the bed or in the skirting boards hop on have a little bite hop you're off you're painting a wonderful picture eggs. <laughs> so I think and keeping it, up with prevention is it true is is hedgehogs in the garden they can do yeah. yeah so there is a little bit of crossover generally it's a different type of flea a different breed they can live temporarily on dogs and particularly cats um but normally it's quite quite a species specific flea that we get although they can catch them from outside in the environment um i would say if you're listening and your dog or cat doesn't have fleas please do preventative treatment because preventing is much easier than dealing with the problem. Yeah. It is definitely possible to deal with the problem. It just requires time and effort and it's but definitely worth sticking preventative with Preventative is definitely easier. Exactly. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, Jane, have a lovely week. We'll chat again next week. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's why I leave you for today. Thanks, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick's with you uh, for the afternoon. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information we'll spread some positivity with our feel good story and song of the day and of course we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits 
C103. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 